0: Good, good morning, Lake Hills Church. Can you even believe that we are six weeks deep into this whole exclusively church online thing? It's crazy. I don't know if you remember, but back at the very, very beginning of this experience, I shared with you the fact that I was kind of strangely excited about where God was going to take us. Well, today we're gonna start a brand new message series that God is kind of birthing out of that excitement. We've entitled this series, Business as Unusual, because it's our hope. It is our prayer that on the other side of corona, and in Christ, make no mistake about it, we will get to the other side. But on the other side of corona, we will begin to live. We will begin to experience business as unusual. Now, I know that most of us are really, 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 really looking forward to getting back to normal. But what if, what if instead God doesn't have something beyond, something bigger than what we could have imagined or dreamed or asked him for as long as our normal day-to-day was kind of rocking along the way that it was? That's really the heartbeat behind this series. And in order for us to get there, the fact is we're going to have to change our perspective. A change in perspective is going to be required for us to get to where God is taking us. Kyle and Kendall Harvey are part of the Lake Hills Church family, and through Kendall's physical challenges and struggles, they have lived out and continue to live out a change in perspective that they never would have asked for, but they are absolutely seeing God do more than they could have asked or imagined through. Here is their story.
1: One more set. Yeah, handle it. Most people have never heard of Friedrich's ataxia. Most people look at me with pity when I explain what F.A. is. When I was about 25, I went out for a run one day with our dog, and my legs just would not do it. It was like my whole body forgot how to function. I could not run, and that's when I knew something wasn't right. Friedrichs Ataxia, or FA for short, is a progressive genetic disease that affects the central nervous system and usually leads to loss of coordination and dexterity, chronic fatigue, scoliosis, and eventually cardiac failure. We were starting to think about kids and I didn't think that was even a possibility. I didn't want to have kids and leave Kyle, um, a widower, with a bunch of diseased kids like me. And it threw me into a really dark depression. I didn't see a future because Medically, my future had just been taken away from me. My life was over before it really got to begin.
2: As we started to crawl out of our doubts, God would open up a door. He would crack a window and then allow us to be able to take that next step. And the next thing you know, we had more doors, more windows open. And he really just led us along the way in that process. And luckily, her heart was open to being able to follow God's will in that process.
1: I went from thinking, I had no future. I hate my body. Why is this happening? To uh, my body is growing this perfect, beautiful, wonderful life, my body is amazing, it's capable of amazing things. The moment our son was born, changed everything. All of a sudden, this beautiful, perfect, healthy, gorgeous human being was given to us and placed in our charge, and I felt so proud of creating this beautiful life and I felt so privileged and honored that I got to be a part of his life and I was so full of hope and joy for the future which seemed like for the first time in as long as I could remember I had plans again I had hopes and I had joy True, honest-to-goodness, God-given joy, is what Brooks brought me. When Brooks was about two years old, we started wanting to grow our family, and we got pregnant with Collins, and she is the perfect addition to our family. God sure knew what he was doing when he gave us Collins. Friedrich's ataxia is relentlessly progressive. Right when I've adapted to the new normal and I think I'm okay, I've got this, a new symptom rears its ugly head and it's a constant need for adjustment, a constant mourning process. Now that I have my walker, it's a physical reminder of what F.A. has taken from me. I can't handle F.A. I can't handle motherhood or marriage or housekeeping, any of it on my own and that's God's design though. I'm not meant to do any of it on my own because I'm not. He is with me and He will lead me through everything. He's bigger than FA. He's bigger than all of my fears and insecurities. He's bigger than my poor balance. He's bigger than my slurred speech. He's bigger than all of the things that F.A. and life in general can throw at me. I don't know what my future's gonna hold, but I know who holds my future. I know that the plans for my life are not my own, they're God's plans, and His plans are perfect. So all I can do is keep showing up, keep trying, keep trusting, I'm pretty hopeful about the future, in spite of everything. God has prepared me so perfectly for this life, and He's given me a lot of characteristics to handle a life like this.
2: When people tell me that my wife is inspiring, I first of all think that is true, because there's a certain characteristic behind her that she is determined and will always succeed. It's great to see that in a mother and a wife because she's always working harder to better our family. She's working harder to better herself, but she's also showing our kids how strong a mother and a female can be in a world when so much has been thrown at her.
1: Despite circumstances, despite the dark, there is light. And I strive to find that light, to live in that light, to shine that light. I want Brooks and Collins to know that even though things in life may not be good, God is always good.
0: Even when things in life Are bad. God is always good. What an amazing reminder from a a story and a narrative that Kendall never would have chosen. But how much of the goodness of God, of God's amazing grace, does she experience day in and day out? It's an incredible reminder, and I think a great example to us because God is always about something. New. That's the heartbeat behind this whole series business as unusual. That that we would settle our minds and settle our hearts on where God is taking us, what God can do even through really, really tough times. And today, to kind of lay the foundation for this series, I want to talk to you about the promise and the practice of new. The promise and the practice. Because throughout the entire Bible, God is always about the new. Now, for this series, we have a foundational, kind of baseline Bible verse that is really the cornerstone of everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Now, before I read this verse to you, or maybe you're looking it up there at home, Isaiah 43, 19, God is speaking to his chosen people, Israel, in the middle of Babylonian captivity. They they have been carted off from the promised land that they entered by God's hand because of their unfaithfulness. He allowed them to be taken captive, to be reminded, to be brought back into right relationship with himself. And he uses this Babylonian captivity as a father disciplines children whom he loves. But look at what he says to Israel in the middle of this captivity. Isaiah 43, 19, he says this. He says, I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is who God is. This is what he does from the very beginnings in Genesis all the way through until Christ comes again. He is about the new. He creates rivers in a wasteland. I don't know where you are today. I don't know how you or your household or your closest friends are handling or dealing with or responding to Corona. But my guess is a lot of us, a lot of us are struggling. A lot of us are, are trying to figure out, trying to, to make sense out of the senseless. And so before we get into the practice of the new, I want to start with the promise of the new. I want us to, in just a little bit, in just a little bit of time in a few minutes, I want us to develop together a, a theology of the new. To understand that this is who God is, this is what God does. And to do this, I'm going to use three Bible verses. We're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis. We're going to look at the life and ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago. But then we're going to finish in the next to last chapter of the entire Bible, Revelation, in Revelation 21. So look in Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis 1, the Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. So in the very beginning, God's spirit is hovering over the waters. And it's it's important to understand that the the concept being communicated here in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, when it says that the earth was formless and void, it had no shape, no order to it. The word that is used there is the word we use for chaos. There, There was complete and utter chaos and it is out of that chaos that God brings the created order. God is always a God of order, bringing order out of chaos. The, the, the theological term here is ex nihilo. God created ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God can create. This is who he is and it's what he does. Now, fast forward to Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22 Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples. We we studied this in the week leading up to Easter. But remember the words of Jesus in that last meal, that first communion service. Luke 22, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement that is confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. There's that new covenant, a new relationship between God and His people that Jesus facilitated on and through the cross and in His resurrection. So it's a new covenant. Now, go all the way to the end of the Bible. Go to Revelation. If you get to chapter 22, hook a quick Yui and come back to Revelation 21 the next to last chapter in the entire Bible. And as you're getting to Revelation 21, let me just provide a little bit of context here. Revelation can be a little overwhelming, can be kind of tough to process. But for our purposes today, just understand that Revelation was a vision that God gave to the apostle John. John had been exiled for his faith to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was in complete exile by himself on this island, God gave him a vision, a revelation of the end times. And look at what John says about this God-given revelation. Revelation 21, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 5. Watch this. John writes this. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne, Jesus, the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Isn't that amazing? So you you understand that this is who God is. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. He created everything that is. Then you see Jesus in his earthly ministry establishing a new covenant. The, The original covenant God had given through Moses... Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish that covenant, but I came to fulfill the law and I fulfill it in a new covenant with you. And in this new covenant through Christ, we have direct access to the throne of God. Hebrews tells us we can approach the throne of God boldly and confidently, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is, because he facilitates that approach. And then in Revelation 21, Jesus again says, behold, I am making everything new. So when you understand this principle, this this theology of the new, it it starts to shift our perspective. It starts to change the way that we look at things because now we're looking for God to do something new. We're looking and and asking in every circumstance, in every situation, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And, And I think if we're going to be really brutally honest with ourselves, which is the hardest place to be honest, if we're going to be really honest with ourselves, we have to acknowledge the fact that we get excited about new. Think about sitting in a new car for the first time and you, that new car smelled. It's just like, oh, just let it wash over you. But the experience of new can be kind of hard. The experience of new requires change. And we do not typically strive for or reach for change. We, we like status quo. But God calls us to status go. God calls us to look for opportunities to see Him doing something new. You know, change is one of those things that as parents, we, we have to equip and teach our kids to handle change. Our, our children are so very different. Emily, and Joe, they, they both respond to change completely differently. If you ask Joe, do you want to change your clothes when he was a little guy? He'd be like, no thanks, I'm good. And he, he didn't like, he just was like, just, we'll go on. Emily, on the other hand, when we knew that there was a change in life coming for her, may it be a change of teachers or a change of bus, or whatever it may have been, man, we had to get out in front of that change. We had to start setting it up. I'll never forget when she was in elementary school, we found out that their bus driver was going to change. And they had had a great bus driver that was always encouraging and exciting. You know, glad to see the kids when they'd get on in the mornings. And Julie got word that they were going to have a new bus driver. And she goes, oh, this is not going to be good. We, we, Emily does not like change. And I'll never forget, Julie's so smart. She was so five steps ahead of Emily And and she asked Emily the following question. She said, Emily, let me ask you a question. What do you think you would do, or what do you think your response would be, if we were gonna move houses? Emily, just at the thought of it, melted down. I mean, started crying, started, I don't wanna move, my friends are here, I can't imagine. Why would we ever move? We love this house, we love this neighbor. And Julie kind of let her process through that a little bit, just the concept of that change. And then she goes, okay, okay. She goes, well, I want you to know we're not moving. I, I was just asking you a question. I was just curious how you would respond to that. And Emily kind of started to gather herself. And then she said, okay, well, what about this one? What if, I don't know, what if you were to have a new bus driver? And Emily kind of, kind of you know, retrieving herself said, I, I could do that. I just don't want to move. Boom. Do you understand how much... I think all of us can relate to elementary school, Emily. None of us likes change. And yet we face it all the time. Change is required for growth. And so what I want to do is give you three practical things to do this week connected to the practice of new things that you can put into practice Every single day, every single week in order to experience the blessings of God, the leadings of God, when he's leading us toward and out of businesses unusual, how do we respond? What do we do with that? The first thing is this, number one, be still and worship, be still and worship every day Every week, I think the coronavirus has created a monster opportunity for our relationship with God. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation, I will be honored throughout the world. Be still. Because we're in quarantine, because the economy has basically shut down and you can't go to work, I can't go to the office, we have the opportunity to be still, to to be quiet before God. Be still and know that I am God, he says. So to be still and know that he is God is to be still and worship every day. But there's also the be still and know that I am God every week. Look at what the Bible says in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, immediately after God's creative work. Here's what the Bible says. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Because it was the day when he rested from all his work. Now, That's in Genesis chapter number two. You can fast forward to Exodus when God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Keep it sacred and set apart. And then over in the New Testament, Jesus himself says that the Sabbath is made to fulfill the needs of man. Man is not made to satisfy the needs of the Sabbath, but God has given us Sabbath, that day to rest deliberately and intentionally, to be still and worship. Now, it's impossible for us to know exactly, but my guess is more people are watching church online than are typically attending church around the world week in and week out. During corona, I think this this obstacle, this challenge, has also given us the opportunity to be still, to to rest and to to look forward, to to setting aside time to gather, even virtually, to be still and worship. That's where it starts. The the only way that you can get a vision from God is if you begin to worship God. And, And that's where it starts. To do that daily, every day, and every week. Be still in worship. Number two, seek and submit to God's vision of your new. Seek and submit to God's vision of your new. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This this is an incredible verse. This is one of those cling-to's, one of those verses that you can hang on to and, and anchor your life in. So I would encourage you to memorize this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what the Bible says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, change, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So many times we ask, what's God's will? What's God's will? Just chillax. Just, just calm down and ask God. Ask Him. But also, not only are we to seek His will, we are also to submit to His will, His vision. A lot of times we miss God's will or His vision for our lives because we're not willing to submit to it. We're not willing to do the things that the Bible already tells us that we know we're supposed to do. We're not willing to stay away from the things that the Bible tells us stay away from. And it's only when we submit our lives, our hearts, and our minds to the will of God that then we begin to discover the will of God. Then we begin, then we begin to discover how good and pleasing and perfect that will is. So we we seek it. We ask Him, God, show me Your will. Give me Your direction. I remember when I was in high school. I asked our pastor, Dr. Ed Young, at Second Baptist Church in Houston, where I grew up. I said, "Dr. Young, how do I know God's will for my life?" I, I had no idea that God was calling me into ministry. I didn't know that any of this was coming. And I'll never forget what He said. He said, partner, you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And then, whatever you want to do. And I remember thinking at the time, whatever I want to do. But that first part is key. Love God with everything you have. Surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. And as we surrender to God, his will begins to shape our will. But it begins in surrender. That surrender has to come first. But man, when it does, when you begin to surrender to the will of God, then you begin to step into the new that he has already determined he has for you. The Bible tells us that God is preparing us for the works he has already prepared for us. But we've got to surrender. We've got to be willing to step into that. And then number three, anchor. Anchor your new in the gospel. Anchor your new in the gospel. This sounds so obvious, but it's not, especially if we go back to business as usual. But if we choose business as unusual, then we've chosen to anchor every single part of our lives in the good news of Jesus. We've chosen to say that this will be the epicenter of everything that tremors out, everything that radiates radiates out from my life is gonna be anchored in the fact of the good news of Jesus. That This is a great way for us to kind of follow up to Easter. I want you to look in your Bibles in 2nd Corinthians. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. But look at verse 15 with me. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. He's talking about Easter. He says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's Easter. Now, Because of Easter, look where it goes. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. This is the gospel. It is new. Lamentations chapter three says, God, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is your faithfulness. Anchoring your life in the gospel means that you allow the reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to permeate every part of life. I don't know where you are this morning or whenever you happen to watch this message, but I do know this. Anchoring your life in the fact of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the absolute greatest thing you can ever do. It has to be a choice because it's a relationship. It's a relationship that God invites you into. He's invited me into it. That passage says that Christ died for all, but for those who accepted him, for those who follow him, become new creations in Christ. So that means you have a choice. I had a choice at one point in my life, a choice that I made to follow Christ, a choice To be still and know that He is God and I am not. A choice to anchor my life in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. In this moment, I want to just put a very, very straightforward question to you. Have you done that? Have you chosen to follow Christ? It's His initiative. That's what's so amazing about grace. He chose to go to the cross in your place and in my place before we ever knew we needed forgiveness. He did that and then He gives you the opportunity like He gave me the opportunity to respond to His grace. As a church family, scattered as we are, online as we are, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just right where you are. You can You can pray a prayer that will change the trajectory of your life and alter your eternity. A prayer of commitment, a prayer of submission, a prayer of surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. I want to ask everybody watching right now, if you would just bow your heads, if you would just bow your heads. Bowing our heads is just a a sign of humility. And in this moment, if you have chosen to follow Christ, I'm going to ask you to be praying for everybody who's watching this. But if you have not, before this moment, chosen to step into a relationship with God in Christ, then we invite you to pray a prayer that would accomplish that, that would begin That relationship just right where you are you talk to God from your heart to his say something like this in your own words say Jesus I need you and in this moment I choose to anchor my life in you Jesus I will follow you from this moment forward I confess my sin to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me and my sin. And I choose to believe that you rose from the dead. And I accept, I receive this new life from you. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. Listen, if that was your prayer, then as the church, the body of Christ, we want you to know we celebrate that with you. This is the biggest moment of your life, and it's a beginning. And so as the church, we want to help. We want to come alongside and dialogue and help with what's next. So however you are watching this message, if you will just kinda click the link that says connect or connect card. If you'll just click that link and let us know that you responded to God's grace initiative by watching this message, by responding in your heart and choosing to believe in your mind that Jesus is Lord. And what that'll do is just start a a conversation that will proceed at whatever pace works for you we want you to know we're excited for you we're excited with you and we are so so grateful that we live in the time that the church can remain connected even virtually and look forward to the day when we're reconnected really and proximity-wise Know that this week, Julie and I are praying for you. We're praying with you. And we are doing what we can to step into the promise and the practice of the new. Have a great week and God bless you.